morning and welcome to Talking Books. Now the snow has melted just about and perhaps we can say that spring is actually on the way. It's going to be a toasty 14 degrees or something tomorrow. Um, I quite enjoyed the enforced relaxation. Um, You can have a good book and a cuppa um, when it's snowy and cold but when you start to want to get jobs done and things it just turns frustrating and and the danger to life and limb was simply just too great so I was glad to see the back of it. Now life and limb are actually the subject of this week's talking books. See what I did almost professional in my segueing, <laughs> if that's the word and my guest in the studio is a woman after my own heart. Now Leslie Sutcliffe has a fascination for the history of medicine and for the lives of doctors and patients in the late 18th and early 19th centuries and well into the mid 19th century isn't it yes that's I, right. I discovered at the launch of my own book death disease and dissection that leslie had in some ways got there before me um, with her determination to uncover the life of a medical man dr jonathan Toogood, who meant a lot to the people of somerset so welcome leslie thank you for having me now what in Initially, what got you interested in this period of medical history? Well, I'd always been interested in medical history, but but got sort of more so about six or seven years ago. And when I retired in 2012, I signed up for a course at the Apothecary Hall. Because you were a doctor, weren't you? Yes, I was, yes. And and I signed up for this course at the Apothecary's Hall um, in uh, London to do a medical history diploma course. Absolutely loved it. Um, and, and it covered, you know, from antiquity right up to the present day, really. I mean, an enormous amount to learn. Yes. Um, and f- for the diploma, I had to write a dissertation, which I have to say I'd never done in my life before. And... Um, I chose to do it on this gentleman who I had discovered in the um, British Medical Journal archives when I was just trawling through and found that this his name, Jonathan Toogood, just mm. kept popping up from Bridgewater in, in articles in the sort of 1840s, 1850s. Mm. And I thought, oh, Bridgewater? Yes. <laughs> so I started to look at him um, in more depth wrote the dissertation started to give talks locally at wi groups and local history groups and then thought "Mm, i might try having a go actually writing a a proper biography of him which is what i did yes and it's um um it's a really fascinating biography because not only is it about the man but it's about the times isn't it yes i I mean it's a it's a fascinating period and and horrific in many ways yes i mean i think um the history of the 19th century is fascinating anyway i think Mm. i mean the victorians were amazing weren't they uh and um so i but i wanted to set it in context in the in the time that he was living not only you know in the town of bridgewater what was going on in the town um but also in medical history at the time Mm -hmm. so um so although it's about his life it's i talk a lot about the the history of medicine uh, at that time and the developments that were happening it was a fast-paced time of change wasn't it absolutely um i mean in his lifetime I mean, when he started out, uh, there were no stethoscopes even. Um, and, uh, I mean, everything was 
diagnosis was made just by observation and talking Mm. to the patient um the stethoscope thing really um fascinated me because i had no idea that something what we consider a relatively simple device absolutely they weren't i mean some of it i learned was because men were uncomfortable especially listening to um quite right the the tummy of a pregnant woman yes um it was almost in the end like a rolled up piece of what almost like the inside of a toilet roll you know (laughs) yes well that that was the the problem was that particularly if people were either obese Mm. or they um um a a woman it was Mm. very indelicate at that time to Mm. put your your ear on their chest (laughs) to listen to their to their heart so so basically really the body was quite a closed book Mm. before the stethoscope um and it was only through the um invention of um uh, a french physician Mm. um called lenec who um who produced it i mean initially it was like as you say it was like a tube Mm. he tried paper at first and then made it out of wood yes um and the the my, uh, the the stethoscope that we know knew today we yeah. know today obviously wasn't developed till much later but um but it didn't come over here till the 1820s yes um so there was not that and of course no anesthesia uh, no. at the beginning of his career um I mean, they had very little, really. Uh, when little idea of sepsis. No idea. Oh, how no idea. Was and I mean, they had they had no idea about bacteria. They they thought that uh, infections were caught through the air. Yes. Um, they talked. They called it miasma. Um, so any sort of air that was polluted, they thought that they could mm. get something very nasty from it. Um, so so things yeah things were very different then um, and. You know, I talk about that. Um, yes, and you, and you also because I I think um, Doctor Tugut he was a he was a rather wonderful man, and he was something of a campaigner, wasn't he? And early, um, I was reading that you 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 include some of the quack medicines or some of the yes. not necessarily always quack medicines, but some of the remedies people turn to because there was very little in the way of accurate diagnosis, and similarly little in the way of accurate treatment absolutely and the treatments were pretty grim really Mm. i mean you know they'd either um with leeches they'd suck blood out of you (laughs) cut cut veins and to to let blood or they give you awful medicines that would for purging or um so um so yes i mean they they were fairly grim and most of them probably didn't do any good and probably did harm um so you could understand why people did look for alternative treatments yes something Um, in desperation yes um now i enjoyed learning when i was writing death disease and dissection excuse me plugging my book at the same time we're talking to leslie (laughs) um uh i i really enjoyed finding out more about these unsung heroes why do you think we don't know more about dr jonathan tugud I really don't know. I mean, his name seems to have disappeared. I mean, I've given lots of talks around the Bridgewater area and nobody has heard of him. Mm. Um, and that's a little bit more about his uh, background. And that's very sad because, of course, he was the founder of the, the infirmary, the hospital mm. in Bridgewater. Um, I mean, he came from um, a Sherbourne family, actually. Um, and... Um, then um i mean he quite an educated family his father um went to oxford and and was um uh, uh, a vicar uh, rec- the rector 
um, over in um, Dorset. And um, so that's the area that he came from. His father, actually, interestingly, was quite interested in in campaigning against the slave trade. Mm. Um, And his grandfather before him was quite outspoken um, and cared very much for the the poor. So so he he came from a very caring background. Um, his Jonathan's brother himself went to Oxford, but um, Jonathan, for some reason, chose not to do that. And uh, as at that time, um, unless you went to university to become a physician, you to become a surgeon or uh, eventually what we would recognise as a general practitioner, mm. you would be apprenticed. Mm. Uh, and he came to Bridgewater as an apprentice originally. Why, I'm not sure. No. Um, but um, so why he chose medicine, I shall never know. But it proved to be very much a, a, a positive thing, particularly for the town of Bridgewater. It was certainly a vocation for him. It certainly wasn't was it? a vocation for him. Yes. Um, now, how did you actually go about the practical? Um, way of finding out more about him because like you say there's not masses of books written about the man or anything so how did your research get on? Well as I said I started off by finding articles in the British Medical Journal archive Mm. which I was able to um, access online I'm I'm a BMA member so I was able to do that quite easily Um, there were some letters at King's College in King's College archive in London so I went Mm. up to see those not many about 11 letters um, to Jonathan um, and they were they were medical letters they were just from people giving him advice and and what was fun was finding letters from Sir Astley Cooper, for instance, yes. who was a very famous um, surgeon and anatomist at that time. Yes, he was a celebrity. Actually, he was certainly he? a celebrity at that yes. time. Um, and then um, I managed to find Jonathan's book uh, online um, uh, and was able to buy that. I mean, he did write a book in 1853 reminiscing about his time as mm-hmm. as. A, um, as a doctor, uh, with lots and lots of cases in it, so that was a h- huge find, and, mm. and um, I was able to quote a lot from that book. Um, and then um, I found some records, the Somerset Heritage Centre in Taunton's wonderful, mm. uh, and I managed to find um, uh, transcripts of a diary written by his eldest son. Jonathan James Toogood, who incidentally was the vicar at North Petherton at some oh, time. Right. Um, and so there, were, there was information in that uh, about his time in North Petherton, but quite a lot about the family. Um, and it's through that that I found a little bit about Jonathan, if you like, as a father. Mm. Um, and then um, there was an, um, his, ne- his nephew by marriage, because he married Anne Giles from Mark in Somerset, uh, and the Gileses were landowners and, again, a very interesting family. Mm-hmm. Um, they produced some interesting folk over the years. But um, one of his nephews, John Allen Giles, who was an academic, also have his memoirs are in the in the Somerset Heritage Centre and I found a lot about the family there were lots of letters 
backwards and forwards yes. to to Jonathan's eldest son, and they they remained very close and friends for the, all of their lives, really. So so that also gave me some information about it's the fabulous family. When you can find all this really personal stuff, and nobody else has really dug into it, have they? It's all fresh. No, it's exciting actually. Yes. It's a bit like a detective story, isn't yes. it? And I love detective stories. Yes, so do I. <laughs> I think most researchers must love detective stories, yes. even if they don't admit it. Yes. There is something fascinating about being the first to look at something like that absolutely and it's terribly exciting when you when something crops up that you didn't expect i mean for example his father's concern without the anti-slave trade Mm -hmm. but also his son again his eldest son um was in the first oxford cambridge boat race for instance which was also you know just fun to find really that uh uh and there he is mentioned um in that yeah. Uh, so, yeah. and, and finding out actually that this man that you've chosen and <coughs> found from well, sort of you, the, your work sort of blossomed from your dissertation into the book um, to find out that he was such a he was a good man wasn't he I mean he oh, was absolutely. a campaigner against arsenic for example absolutely he was um, I mean he must have had a very I mean they had 12 children mm. together um, uh, had a happy marriage possibly. I, I would hope so yes, yes. Um, and um, and certainly um, and three of his sons went on to do medicine study medicine but um, yes I mean he not only was he busy with his own practice and on obviously the hospital when that was founded and and they uh, the the surgeons weren't paid for their work at the hospital Mm. at that time in the voluntary hospitals Um, so he was not only busy with that but he got involved with various campaigns um, uh, one of them uh, against the new poor law amendment Mm. act which came out in 1834 Mm. um, which he deplored Um, he also got involved with um, at, at the coroner's acts, which he, he believed that coroners were not doing a, a proper job. He felt lots of people went to their graves without really knowing why they died, yeah. and, and he felt very strongly about that. Um, and, uh, and as you say, he got involved with, with arsenic. Arsenic was very easy to buy, Mm-hmm. at that time you, it was just sold everywhere and it and you could buy it at any age anybody could buy it and of course it was a white powder yes. easily mixed with other things so there was a lot of accidental poisonings yes. um and of course there was some also some some murders as well due yes. to um arsenic poisoning so he was very keen to tighten up the law mm. um they did change things. By 1851, the Sales of Arsenic Act um, came into force, but um, it wasn't as tight as they'd hoped it would be. But he worked hard on that. He um, he was also very against... We talked about quack medicine. He was also mm. very against homeopathy. He, right. he felt, at that time, he really felt that people were being cheated, I think. Um, and... Um, and of course, the homeopaths didn't like that, um, and um, they um, they used his name. Um, they they called it too goodism. Um, yes. They used his name to say that he was set in his ways. But actually, when you learn about him, he certainly wasn't set in his ways. He embraced 
everything really early embraced mm-hmm. the stethoscope embraced ether when that came in and yes. uh, you know a lot of m- medical practitioners didn't um uh, give you know they didn't embrace these things very quickly mm. and he was out there you know looking for new ideas and trying new ideas so it wasn't he wasn't stuck in his ways no and when we talk about trying new ideas I remember from my research that um, like you when you say try new ideas these this was a matter of life and death wasn't it you Absolutely. know something like ether during an operation yes. or yes. it wasn't just something like a, a, a drugs trial we might experience now oh, where you're looking not. for a few yeah. minor side effects that's right it was matters of life and death absolutely um he was a friend of of dr uh, james young simpson in edinburgh who was the man midwife who Mm. actually started giving chloroform to women in labor and of course a lot of medical practitioners were very against that but again um not jonathan (laughs) (laughs) he he believed that um anything to help pain was 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 a good thing of course, Queen Victoria did a lot for that. Yes, she had two of hers. With <laughs> yes, one, once Queen Victoria had used it, then then everybody wanted to use it, and and um, so um, and so not, things go. They, I don't think they used. You know, you, you go and talk to an anaesthetist now, and they've weighed you and decided exactly down to a you know a microgram how yes. much you should have. This was all a bit hit and miss. Oh, absolutely, wasn't it? it was hit and miss. Yes. Mm. And, and chloroform was somewhat safer than ether because ether was quite explosive. So I think, <laughs> I think they had a few problems sometimes. Uh, yes, that's what I mean. When you you you, you can't imagine from from the twenty first century that these people who were probably our great grandparents, our great great grandparents, they're not miles back in our family tree. No, no, that's right. We're having to endure these basic medical treatment well i can remember my father saying that he he had his appendix out when he was a little boy and uh, he remembers the sort of mask and the smell oh, yes. of of the the oh, gases the tooth out having yes the mask and yes the smell. yes i i did the same but uh, uh so yes things have things have changed and of course the the infection was such a an enormous problem wasn't it back then because there were no antibiotics and as as we said earlier they didn't know about bacteria that didn't come in until later in the 19th century um, when they discovered that you know the the causes of many infections were Were often the doctors themselves sadly weren't they they caused the transmission of infection without knowing they were doing it yes in purple fever as you as as you say they they transmitted from woman to woman in in childbirth and Mm -hmm. and it's it's tragic really when you look back on it but but still, we're still learning things today, yes, of course. Yes, and thanks to people like Jonathan Toogood. I mean, how did he actually come to um, be so proactive in founding Bridgewater Infirmary? Well, I mean, he was um, having to uh, undertake various surgical procedures and other things in people's cottages, mm. uh, on kitchen tables, etc. Um, I mean, he, he quotes in his book about having to take a, a man who'd been run over by a wagon who'd fractured their, his legs he'd had to take him out to the little porch of the cottage to get enough light in which to amputate Ouch. so it was very difficult and, yes. and um, so he and because he'd he'd spent two years in St Bartholomew's Hospital completing mm. his surgical training after his apprenticeship 
Um, so he'd had experience of working in a hospital and voluntary hospitals were popping up around mm. the country at that time and being ahead of the game, he wanted to do the same. I think it's quite interesting because we're here in Wiveliscombe. I ought just to mention that um, the, the Wiveliscombe was very early in having a little infirmary. Oh, right. Um, they, it was founded by Dr Henry Scully, who was a practitioner surgeon in this in this town. He, he Actually, he later became um, a surgeon to the Duke of Cumberland, one of oh. George III's sons. He was evidently a bit of a character, Dr. Henry Scully. <laughs> and actually, there's some evidence that he wasn't even properly trained, but that's another story. Um, but he set up a little infirmary in, in Wiveliscombe, and you can still see the house today. Oh, right. uh, and um, a little cottage, yes. And it's got 1804 over the door, and it was founded in 1804. Um, so apart from Taunton, had, Oh, they spent ages trying to get an infirmary, and eventually they they managed to get one in 1812. Things had gone wrong in the past for them. But um, so in 1813, when Bridgewater was founded, he actually based uh, a lot of the infirmary on the little infirmary in Wiveliscombe. Oh, that's a wonderful story. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh, and if you. I don't know the geography very well down here, but but if you go, I think it's sort of at the end of the main street, mm. um, the little house. Yeah, I, th- I think it's actually on Town Hill, actually, which that is the road leading up to uh, the middle familiar. of the town. Yeah, I've got and, a photograph you, of it in my book. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you can actually see 1804. Uh, That's right. It, it, yeah, I, I didn't realise that. Yes, so, uh, yes. So you, you've uh, educated myself. It here. did become a, a GP's practice, I think, uh, uh, following that, um, sort of, I think, earlier in this century. Uh, no, not the 19th, last century now. Uh, <laughs> I think it was still a, a doctor's uh, Yeah, I, I think um, the, 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 the houses in that era now flats, I think. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Yes, when actually, when I took a photograph of it for... For my book, I think they were doing work on the little cottage then, but I hope they kept the large oh, 1804 above there, the yes. door. Yeah, oh, yeah. good. It's, I mean, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? We don't realise... I mean, I, I came to understand it properly when I was researching my book, but how closely they resembled today's general practitioners and how they were on call most of the time all these the doctors, time. weren't they, and travelled vast distances absolutely. with poor transport in absolutely. order to treat... For patients. That's right, horses and carriages and in all weathers. If they attended a midwifery case, they would often stay with the woman for hours. Mm. Uh, it's quite different. And, of course, the, they did everything, the surgery, they did everything. Yes, because um, if you were wealthy, you might have a physician who would... But he still wouldn't get his hands dirty, would he? No, he wouldn't, no. <laughs> and, of course, the wealthy were always treated in their home, own homes. Yes. And, of course, everybody was treated in their homes until the voluntary hospital system started up. Yes. And they were only for the poor, and yes. they were set up to cure people. Yes. Uh, they, weren't, um, they weren't like the hospitals that we know today. But, um, but they served a very good purpose. And, yes. and Bridgewater survived i mean it it was taken over by the state in 1948 mm. um and then um and it still survives i mean they moved in 2014 to a, a new modern hospital yes um but he has it's quite a legacy really yes i mm. and i think you know with a name like jonathan too good 
I mean, he, he obviously didn't choose a vocation based on having such a wonderful name, but it was lovely to find that this man was a good man. Yes. How can we find out a little bit more about your book if we wanted, if people listening wanted to get hold of a copy? Um, well, it's... Um it's available in Brendan Books in Taunton. Yes, we must give Brendan Books a plug. Uh, and at the Somerset Heritage Centre and at Blake Museum in Bridgewater. Right. Um, so that's direct ways of getting it. That's direct ways. I mean, a, a good bookshop should be able to mm-hmm. to order it. And obviously I've got the books at home and I can always send them out. Brendan Books will always post them out to you as well, won't they? So you, they can often get you a book as quick as Amazon can. That was, yes, and and um, so anyway, that's where that, I, it's not on Amazon. <laughs> just to make that clear, yes, it's on Waterstones and Foils, I think. Um, I went into Waterstones actually and asked, and and they couldn't find it. Oh, I li- it came up when I was. Looking oh, well, did it? Oh, perhaps it's perhaps they've looked for it now. <laughs> oh, good, because I thought. Oh, <laughs> but it's still if you can support yes. your local independent bookshop. Absolutely. There's another one in Tiverton called Lisner Jan. Yes, so and I'm sure they'd you. be able to get it. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yes. Um, now, I mean, we talked about this before. Um, the time's flown by and it's actually 25 minutes have gone oh wow <laughs> yes i told you <laughs> um and it's been fabulous to talk to you about jonathan too good there's loads more we could say and i know you give a lot of talks so people should watch out for wi local history society talks and i'm actually giving a talk fairly soon in in the milverton i think it's the history society Milverton and Fitzhead History Society next month, I believe. Oh, right. So look yes. that up on the yes. on, on Google Milverton Fitzhead History Society. I think it's the History Society. Yes, it's not WI anyway. No, um, and it, it's I, I really admire Leslie for having got her book out there because really it it is it, it is fascinating to find out more about what two hundred years ago uh, GPs were having to deal with. You know, nothing perhaps changes too much. But uh, it was a tough life, and people did was. absolutely everything they could for even the poorest members of society. So They did, yeah. Now, you've chosen a wonderful song to end with for a really personal reason. Do you want to just tell us a bit about uh, it? Yes. Um, my son, Thomas Sutcliffe, is an actor and singer. Uh, his first professional job after drama school was in Wicked, the musical Wicked in London. Uh, and I've chosen a track on an album called um, West End Switched Off, where he's singing a duet with Chloe Hart, uh, who he trained with. If anybody saw Girlfriends recently on the television, she was actually had a small part in that. Uh, and she's a fabulous singer as well. So um, this is a song from Wicked called Defying Gravity. Thank you so much for coming in, well, Leslie. Thank you very much um, for asking me. Um, uh, we'll end with... Gravity. Define gravity. (laughs) Something has changed within me. Something is not the same. I'm through with playing by the Someone else's game Too late for second guessing Too late to go back to sleep It's time to trust my instincts Close my eyes and leave It's time to 
It's time to try defying gravity. I think I.